I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is Numbers chapters 5 and 6. In chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, we see that we have a need to get some unclean folks out of the camp. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, and every one that hath an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall ye put out, Without the camp shall ye put them, that they defile not the camps in the midst whereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them out without the camp, as the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. Now we saw back in Leviticus that there were three categories of uncleanness that were given special attention there. The first was infectious skin diseases in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. And then there were also bodily discharges in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 2 through 25. And then lastly, touching dead bodies in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 39, and Leviticus 21, verses 1 through 4. It was the priest's job to keep the camp of Israel free of uncleanness. These four verses raise some questions which are not easily answered regarding the day-to-day practice of Israel. The two chapters, Leviticus 13 and 14, make it very clear that lepers had a place outside the camp where they stayed until they were deemed to be clean. Furthermore, those touching dead bodies are clearly dealt with in Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, when it says, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Now here we're told that during the period of their uncleanness, they are to stay outside the camp. Presumably, they had their own separate place from those with skin disorders. But it's the bodily discharge stipulation of these verses that's difficult to surmise exactly how they practiced it. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 10 through 14, we're told that bodily relief was only to take place outside the camp if due to a surprise occurrence during the night the person was unable to make it outside the camp in time, that person was to remain outside the camp for the remainder of the day before he could be pronounced clean again. The context of that passage may be indicating this to be the practice for battle encampments only. There is just not enough written here to be certain of the common practice. The most difficult of these to reconcile with the brief scripture provided here is regarding a woman's monthly cycle. We're told in Leviticus chapter 15 verse 19 that she shall be put apart seven days. While we might get the impression from Leviticus 15 that this is a separation that might be an isolation within the camp, Numbers chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 here would indicate that even the woman on her monthly cycle was to have a place outside the camp where she was to go for that week each month. Hmm... Away from the kids, no meal preparation, cleaning, and, well, maybe this is not so bad. However, that does leave a lot of unanswered questions about family care that simply aren't addressed in this passage of Scripture or in any other. Beginning with chapter 5, verse 5, we see what they had to do to make it right after a person cheats or steals. Verse 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit, 
to do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. And every man's hallowed things shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. Well, here's the scenario we saw back in Leviticus chapter 5 and 6. If you stole from or cheated a fellow Hebrew, you had to pay it back with a 20% penalty and then make the appropriate sacrifice to the priest. If the person defrauded had died in the interim, then you paid the near kinsman. Now, what about the husband who thinks that his wife has committed adultery? Well, that's taken care of in Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. Verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept closed, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near, and set her before the Lord." And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle the priest shall take, and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord, and uncover the woman's head, and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath, and say unto the woman, if no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot, and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell, and thy thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter." Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord, and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that, if she be defiled and have done trespass 
against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if a woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies, when a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband, and is defiled. Or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. Well, I guess the place to begin explaining this section is by quoting from the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But what if it were concluded definitely that someone had committed adultery? Well, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Well, now let me draw a conclusion here. If you're a woman who commits adultery, you're likely to lie about having done so. I mean, am I right about that? Well, Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31 has a test of integrity for you. Keep in mind, an admission of guilt results in the deaths of two people, the man and the woman. That's a real incentive to stick to your cover story, isn't it? Now, marital infidelity by the woman was considered to be a grave offense because it threatened the purity of the lineage. In the Mosaic Law, adultery specifically speaks to sexual contact between a married woman and a man other than her husband. Since Israel at that time was a polygynous society, sexual contact between a married man and an unmarried woman was not categorized as adultery. When a husband becomes suspicious that his wife has committed adultery, as he experiences a spirit of jealousy, as it's called here, he takes his wife before the priest with an offering. When she admits nothing, here are the steps the priest then takes. First, he mixes the tabernacle floor dust with some holy water, in verse 17. Then she sat before the Lord with her head uncovered, verse 18. Then a barley offering is placed in her hands, again, verse 18. In verse 19 through 22, we see that the priest pronounces an oath, including a curse over her, if she's guilty. Then we see in verse 22 that the woman agrees to this oath. And then verse 23, the priest writes the oath, that curse, with ink, and then dissolves it into the special water. Ooh, verse 24, the woman then drinks that water. And finally, in verse 25, the priest waves the offering from her hands and offers it upon the altar. Now, if the woman is guilty, it says that her belly shall swell and her thighs shall rot. Verse 27. What does that mean? Well, some have suggested that she will become pregnant and miscarry, never to be able to bear children again. However, the consequences of this trial by ordeal seem to me to be more immediate than that. So others have suggested that such female maladies as a flooded uterus or a pelvic prolapse or swollen then atrophied genitalia, well, I don't know, whatever the intermediate symptoms, the inability to bear children afterwards seems to be conclusive according to verse 28. If she's guiltless of her husband's suspicions, she remains healthy and unaffected by the ritual and she's able to bear children. 
Now, it's been suggested that perhaps the spirit of jealousy was brought on by a suspicious pregnancy, one in which the husband suspected that he was not the father of the child. Well, if that's the case, then the consequences of the water ordeal may be a little clearer to to us inasmuch as we may be talking about a difficult pregnancy ending in miscarriage. However, i got to tell you, all of that's just speculation. We really don't know any details beyond what we read here, nor do we have any historical context that would lend us any additional information. In chapter 6, we find the sacred vow of the Nazarite, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation... He is holy unto the Lord. And if a man die very suddenly by him, and he that hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make an atonement for him, for that he sinned by the dead, and shall hollow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation, and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost, because his separation was defiled. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer his offering unto the Lord, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering and one ram without blemish for peace offerings. And a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord, and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram of for a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall take the hair of the head of his separation, and put it in the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram, and one unleavened cake out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite, after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord." This is holy for the priest, with the wave breast and heave shoulder, and after that the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who hath vowed, and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation, 
beside that that his hand shall get, according to the vow which he vowed, so he must do after the law of his separation. The vow of the Nazarite involved consecrating oneself to God for a limited time period. They were treated as lay priests, having restrictions similar to priests. The vow imposed a number of restrictions to one's lifestyle, as in abstaining from fermented drinks and grape products, and abstaining from cutting one's hair, and abstaining from coming into contact with dead bodies. Here's the procedure for the ritual, the vow of the Nazarite, for the man or the woman. We see it in verse 2. You'll recall that Samson was a Nazarite from birth in Judges 13. Furthermore, Paul seems to have made such a vow in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, and again in Acts 21, verses 20 through 26, when he participated with those who had taken the vow of the Nazarite. He attempted to demonstrate to the Jews in Jerusalem that he himself was a law-abiding Jew. Typically, the Nazarite vow was to be for a specified period of time. There were three distinct characteristics of those who had taken the Nazarite vow. As I mentioned before, abstaining from wine and grape products, verses 3 and 4, not touching dead bodies, even if it's mom or dad, verses 6 through 8, and never cutting one's hair while he was under the vow of the Nazarite in verse 5. Now, we see later in Israel's history, they sinned against God by giving Nazarites wine to drink. Amos chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 tells about that. At the conclusion of the vow, a series of offerings, we see those in verses 13 to 20, they were made to mark the end of the commitment and all the hair goes, and it's burned in verse 18. Now, have you ever smelled burning hair before? It's a yucky smell. I mean, it's a nasty smell. This is the ceremony in which Paul participated in Acts chapter 21, verses 20 to 26. Then we see in chapter 6, verses 22 to 27, an official blessing. And here it is, verse 22. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, on this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So here in these six verses, God gives the priest a special verbal blessing to issue upon the people of Israel. Now, you may have heard preachers conclude their services with a modified version of this very blessing. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.